I'll read from the screen. This is the book of Colossians, the Apostle Paul, writing to the church in Colossae to correct some heresies, some stuff that was going on there, but in this passage, this chapter, to encourage the believers to look forward, to look up, to put off and to put on things. Let's read Colossians 3 verse 1. Since then, uh, since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your heart on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these things, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the the life you once lived, but now you must rid yourselves of all such things as these. Uh, Anger, rage, malice, slander and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to one another since you have been taken off since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. Here there is no Greek or Jew circumcised or uncircumcised barbarian, Scythian, slave or free but Christ is all and is in all. Therefore as God's chosen people holy and dearly beloved. Clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness and patience. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you and over all these virtues put on love which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your heart since as members of one body you are called to peace and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom and as you sing psalms, hymns and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. This is God's word. May he bless it to us. Amen. Trevor, um, do you want this one we need two microphones oh you've got one (laughs) you're you're wired you don't want this in your road at all I move it for you all right I think I'm on good morning sir good morning how are you I'm very well excellent it was nice to meet you the other day tell us a little bit about yourself where were you born where was I born? Well, I was actually born in Adelaide, but have many fond memories because we moved to Sydney when I was one. So, <laughs> can you hear me, actually? Is that coming through? Fantastic, cool. So, moved to Sydney? Moved to Sydney and I was uh, raised in the Hills District, out there in the southwest, Christian. in the northwest. Yep. Christian family background? Uh, no, my parents uh, aren't believers yet, um, but uh, we're excited about what God is doing in their lives. Sure. Um, when did you become a Christian? How old were you? I was 18. Uh, I'm one of those stories that you may have heard. I was chasing a girl. And she said, if you want to hang no. out over summer, really? I'm hanging out at this church camp. Come and hang out with me. Is this the lady you married or is this another story? No, but I did admit. <laughs> I did actually meet her at that camp though. So there you go. Yeah. Right, wrong, wrong girl, right thing. <laughs> but God was chasing me. Amen. 
Yeah. So about 18, church camp yep. or youth camp, whatever, came, became the follow-up. Yeah. What happened for you then? Off the uni? Or? Yeah, so it's, it's funny with my parents. All through high school, I'm, I'm on my trajectory of a music career that um, people who are in the music industry know it's hard to define a music career. Um, anyway, I, um, I finished school, went to university and studied music. But then after that, I uh, started doing an internship at the church I was working at. And as much as my parents were freaked out about my music career, started working at a church, thought, oh, you're not forgetting about your music, are you? <laughs> I think that freaked them out even more. <laughs> so, yes. So, so I was doing music part-time and part-time working with young adults okay. at a, a church, yes. And how long have you been doing that now? So working in church ministry, um, so that was four years so, 15 years. Wow. Yeah. So, how old are you? <laughs> 36. Really? Yes. Yeah. Hard life. <laughs> <laughs> We're delighted, Trevor, that you could come and share with us. Thank you. Uh, you're married to Fiona. Fiona, and you, you probably heard Isaac earlier. How uh, old is Isaac? Isaac is 15 months. He's delightful. He's awesome. Yeah. And another one on the way? Yeah, little Jonathan is T minus three and a half months. So we're really, really excited about that. Two, two little fellas running around. Excellent. Keep us busy. Now you're in a Presbyterian church now? Yes, in a Presbyterian church. And enjoying that. Loving it. And uh, I saw Trevor for the very first time at a conference that I attended last year and you were this year and you were the worship leader last at that. It was last year, yes. Wow. Time flies. Only 36. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome, brother. We're delighted to have you come with us. Thank you so much. Speak to us what the Lord has laid on your heart. Okay. It's always great to be welcomed as a New South Welshman. I'll just say, uh, the first shall be last. That's all I'll say. (laughs) All right. Sorry, I'm just going to organise a few things. I'm going to start the clock. Never trust a preacher without a watch. It's fantastic to be here uh, this morning. I really appreciate you having me along, especially on such a special occasion for you guys as well with this anniversary service. So it's wonderful to be able to share God's word with you. And um, you might not know, but yesterday um, had the opportunity to spend the day with your music team and your singers and worship leaders. And that was a fantastic time. You, you are amazingly blessed by the people who serve you here. They're a wonderful group of people, hearts in the right place and passionate to learn how to serve you guys better. So it was wonderful spending time with them. And I'm really excited that the things we looked at yesterday, and so I I spoke to the musicians from this passage and looked at particular applications for them as they seek to serve and encourage you guys. But I'm so excited, I've never done this before, the opportunity to speak to you about how we together, through singing together and music ministry, encourage one another. I'd like to say we're all involved in music ministry. So there was a handful of people here yesterday, but I now get to talk to the rest of the team. So I'm really excited about that. Can can I just pray for us as we open God's Word? Father, we want to thank you that you speak to us as we hear your Word, as we hear it read, explained, as we speak your words to one another, and as we sing your words. And so, Lord, we thank you for this opportunity to learn and be transformed. Help us to have soft hearts and open ears to hear what you have to say to us. Amen. 
Well, I was talking uh, just very briefly to your Pastor David um, as I was walking in and it was great to listen to some of your grace sermons and particularly active worship. It was wonderful to have a listen to that because I really want you guys to keep that message in your head as we talk particularly about music and singing. We need to remember singing is not worship. Okay. Singing is a way we express our worship and a particular way we express our worship together but it, is, it doesn't equal worship. And so who... Okay, hands up who remembers the four points from the active worship sermon. Anyone? It's a test time. We need to remember that worship is a response to the revelation of God. Okay? That worship is a lifestyle. It is all of us. And it is intentional action. Okay? It requires participation. There's no such thing as worship spectators. We are actually on the team. We're involved. And worship involves all of us, our whole being. Okay? Give your lives as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. It involves all of us, our minds, our hearts, our bodies, the way we interact with each other. It affects all our life, all we are, all for him. So as we look particularly at worshipping through singing together, please do not forget that we're looking at a particular part of that, but it is worship is all our life given for him. So I, I, I sometimes cheekily say, well, people say, oh, I really enjoyed the worship this morning. Which part? The conversations you had before church? The, the preaching of God's word? Which part of God's worship did you enjoy? All our life is worship. Okay. So let's keep that foundational as we talk. But there is something particular that God has given us in music and singing together that is a unique expression of worship. It's a great gift from God. You see, God commands us to sing together. Uh, 1 Corinthians 16 says, Give praise to the Lord. Proclaim his name. Make known among all the nations what he has done. Sing to him. Sing praises to him. Tell of all his wondrous acts. Psalm 33 says, Sing joyfully to the Lord, you righteous. It is fitting for the upright to praise him. Praise him with the harp. Make music to him on the ten-string lyre. Sing to him a new song. Play skillfully and shout for joy. It was great to talk with these guys yesterday about how they can play skillfully in, in equipping you guys to sing. Look in the New Testament. James tells us, is anyone happy? Then let them sing songs of praise. And Paul, in another place, says quite a similar thing to this passage in in Colossians, where he says, do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. And how does that look? It looks like speaking to one another in psalms, hymns and spiritual songs, singing and make music from our hearts to the Lord among other things. The passage goes on to explain how else we can be filled with the Spirit. So God has even given us a songbook in his word. He's given us right, right in the middle so when we flip it open, and go, oh, it lands in the middle of a bunch of songs that uh, demonstrate worship through song in all life circumstances. So singing is obviously pretty important. We look at it in churches all around the globe today Chinese churches, African churches, Filipino churches, um, Norwegian churches, 
right around the globe, God's people are singing. All throughout history, God's people have been singing. So obviously this is something really important. So we have to ask, can you, can you have church without singing? Is singing for everyone or is it just partic- is it for those touchy-feely types? Or, you know, should we just have a, a Christian glee club that meets and, you know, sings, but, you know, everyone else can just... I hope you see from the end of this passage that maybe not. So let's... Uh, we've got the passage up here. If you've got your Bible there, it'd be helpful to have that open as well. Uh, I do not... I don't have a sermon outline for you because I'm hoping this passage can give you a framework to remember the things, okay? Because we'll step through this passage and the particular phrases, okay? But it was great to read from the start of chapter 3 and get it in its context. It's really important that we look at the overall picture. And so when we look at um, Colossians, uh, an overarching theme we see throughout the book is what it means to be in Christ. The phrase is used time and time again. And Paul is challenging us that our identity is found in being united with Christ. In some way, we are with him, we are in him. And because of that flows our unity to one another. As we are all united to Christ, therefore we are united to one another. And so when we get into chapter 3, Paul gives some specific applications of this truth. Okay, we're united to Christ and we're to be united to one another because of that. What should we do? And I hope you picked up the structure as we read the chapter because there was a bunch of things that Paul says to put off and the language is like take off these clothes and put on these clothes because you are united with Christ. And so the things we put off, we read, they're things like... But but now you must also put away all the following. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, filthy language. Do not lie to one another. They're things that aren't part of our identity anymore as people in Christ. And they're things that lead to disunity in the church. So we're to put those off. But he goes on then. Therefore, God's chosen, holy and loved. Put on compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness and patience. We are to put on things that characterise who we are in Christ and that lead to the unity of the church. And I think it's really important to see that flow of the passage because when we come to talking about the role of singing and music, that is in that section where we're talking about what are the things we put on in according with our identity? What are the things we put on for the sake of the unity of God's people? And singing is one of those things we can do to conform to the unity of Christ and to one another. So it's really important to, to take note of that language put on because I think just as we start talking about this, sometimes we think of music as something that is always an overflow of our soul. So there's times where we feel like you know, lifting the roof with praise because of what God has done. But then there's other times we don't feel like singing. But there's something in this that, uh, as, as the same way as we um, sometimes won't feel like being compassionate or kind or humble or gentle, we need to put those things on. They're a discipline that shapes in us uh, our identity as Christ-like people. And in a similar way, I think we sometimes need to remember 
that choosing to sing together and to participate in worship through song is a discipline that can shape in us Christ-likeness as well. And it is something that is helpful for shaping not only in the individual but us as a, a, a group, as a corporate body, these characteristics. And we'll talk a lot more about that as we go through the passage. So my question to you right now, are you willing to do that as a discipline to put on singing amongst these other things because of our unity together and our unity in Christ? But right now, let's, let's continue to have a look at this verse in particular. Let's narrow right down. So we read, Let the word of Christ dwell in us richly as you teach and admonish one another in all wisdom and as you sing psalms, hymns and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God. So do you see how the structure makes sense? So the message of Jesus, the message of Christ is to dwell among us richly. And how is it going to do that? It's going to do that as we teach and admonish one another. We've got a role to play to one another here. And what will that look like? Well, it will be characterised by doing it with wisdom. It can be through singing all different sorts of songs and it's done with gratitude in our hearts to the Lord. So that's, that's the structure of that passage there. And let's have a look statement by statement about some things we can learn from this. So first, well, to let the word of Christ dwell in us. Our singing should be a ministry of God's word, shouldn't it? So we've all come here together this morning for a whole bunch of good and different reasons, but I really hope one of the reasons that we come together is to sit under the word of God and to learn from the word of God. And have you ever considered that happens in a whole bunch of ways as we meet together? We will hopefully straight away think of as we hear God's word, we sit under God's word and learn from it. As we hear it taught and explained and, and expounded, hopefully we're sitting under and being taught by God's word. But there's also a bunch of other ways that we as a church minister to one another with God's word and it transforms us. You've got an opportunity after this service to have, have a cuppa and I think there's a sausage fizzle on it, but to hang around and encourage one another with scripture to bless one another with God's word and to see it transform life. As we pray, we should be praying the words of God and letting them shape us and mould us. And as we see here as well, we should be singing the words and the truths of Christ, of the Messiah. And if that's the case, then it makes no sense when sometimes, again, this is something I, I have a bit of a chuckle about, when people turn up late and they say, oh look, I just come for the teaching time. Like, oh, you just missed a whole bunch of it. You know, it doesn't make sense. God teaches us in all different sorts of ways and one of them is through our singing together. And if that's the case, there's a few things that are really important and we spoke to the music team yesterday. One of the things that's really important for them to do is to be picking songs that are full of the word of Christ and of truths of Christ. They need to be songs that are saturated with scripture. I love it when songs actually teach you God's word. Um, they are to be full of the truth about Jesus. Um, I might refer to this song quite a few times, but I love the song In Christ Alone. You know that song? How rich is that song in truth of who Christ is 
and how through him and what he has done we are blessed. I love songs like that. We need to be singing songs like that. We need to be singing songs that are theologically sound. And I'll talk a little bit more later about the impact of that. And particularly, we need to be singing songs about Jesus. Someone I read helpfully questions our our song list in church. And he says, could a non-Christian comfortably sing the things to God that we sing? Often our songs are quite generically praises to God. And he questions, could a Jewish believer or a Muslim believer actually affirm these same things side by side with us? We are to let the word of the Messiah, the word of Christ particularly. So we need songs as God's church, saved by Christ, that are particularly about him and teach us about him and to him. But if, if our singing is a ministry of God's word, then there's a few things. So that's stuff that the, the music team needs to be really aware of as they pick songs. But how about us? How does it change the way we come Sunday morning or Sunday evening into our church gathering together? If our singing is a part of the ministry of the word of Christ, then we, ex- we come with an expectancy as we do with the rest of our gathering, but the expectancy that God will work powerfully through his words as we sing them and as we sing truths about Jesus. Isaiah 55 reminds us, as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return to it without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish, so is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but it will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purposes for which I sent it. So as I challenge the music team, how are you praying that these songs, by God's spirit and because they are echoing the words of God, will transform lives? Are we expecting that God will do that? But as you sing together, are you expecting that God will transform lives and potentially yours? And because of that, if these are... If we're singing God's words and God's truths, we can't hold them at arm's length. And I'm pretty sure David spoke a little bit about this in active worship. We must engage with God's word when it is read, when it is preached. We can't hold it as an intellectual knowledge. There's some interesting things. We must let it move in us and change us and challenge us. So when we sing, one of what we do, we must respond to the revelation of Jesus that is in, hopefully, well it is, all the songs we've sung this morning that are in our songs. Jesus is revealed and we must engage with that and respond to it. An uh, example I, I think of, um, When Christ shall come with shouts of acclamation and take me home, what joy shall fill my heart. Then I shall bow in humble adoration and then proclaim how God my, my God, how great thou art. Then sings my soul. We're singing truths of God. That song is full of the richness of truths of, song, of God. And we have this opportunity in the chorus. Then sings my soul, my Saviour God to thee. How great you are. We need to re- engage with the truths about God and the word of God that we sing and respond to it. And if these are God's words, if it is a ministry of the word and truth of God, 
to what end do we do these things? What's the outcome of our singing together? Well, 2 Timothy 3.16 should remind us that all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting and training in righteousness so that the man and woman of God will be thoroughly equipped for every good deed. And I think it's really important to, for us to remember that uh, the, the ministry of singing together isn't something that is for the 15 minutes at the start of the service and you know, a couple of minutes at the end of the service and a little bit in between. Yes, there is something that happens in the moment that is really encouraging and we'll talk a, a little bit more about that as, as we uh, go through this passage. But it is equipping us for a lifestyle of worship. See, my prayer is that the songs that we sing together will be songs that throughout the week will keep on reminding us of the truths of God and they'll embolden us to be strong witnesses in our church, sorry, in our workplaces or in our families. They will be words that comfort us as we're in the midst of struggles. You see what I mean? The ministry of God's word should equip us for every good work in the rest of our weeks. Okay? And I think, see, this is the thing where music has, and singing together has a unique role to play because as we move through, we're to let the word of Christ dwell in or actually closer would to say among us richly. When you read you there, it's important that you read plural you. Okay? It's talking about us. But it is to dwell in us richly and I love that word because it, it implies something more than momentary, doesn't it? If something dwells in us, it's sustained, it's ongoing. All right? God has given us such a great gift in music and singing because songs stick. If we're to have the word of God dwell in us, songs are such a great tool. I mean, the rest of the world knows about this. The music industry talks about hooks and earworms in songs. Songwriters are always looking for something hooky and the idea is it's a hook, it attaches onto you and it sticks there. And, you know, when you're doing the dishes, back it will come. You know, and when you're trying to get to sleep, you've got this little, who knows that Gautier song? Somebody that I used to know. And there's a dun, 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 dun. You know the song I'm talking about? And it always just comes back to annoy you at the most inappropriate times. Songs stick. I can give, well, let's try an example. Down, down. Prices are down. Where we're worth the fresh food people. Even, bum, 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 bum. Four notes. What does that tell you about? Intel. The corporate world knows how music sticks and associates things with it. Okay? So it's just a part of who we are. There's a neurologist, Oliver Sacks, and he says the automatic or compulsive internal rep- repetition of musical phrases is almost universal. It's the clearest sign of the overwhelming and at times helpless sensitivity of our brains to music. We're wired this way. This is the way God has made us. And it's really interesting that you uh, referred to Colossians 31 earlier. So remember Daryl talked about how as uh, the, the people are looking to go into the promised land, Moses is to write down things that remind them of God's faithfulness as they go in uh, to a new place. Do you realize, I'm, I'm going to read this passage out for you. Have a listen. Verse 
Okay, so this is God saying to Moses, now write down this song and teach it to the Israelites and have them sing it so that it might be a witness for me against them. When I have brought them into the land flowing with milk and honey, the land I promised on oath to their ancestors, and when they eat their fill and thrive, they will turn to other gods and worship them, rejecting me and breaking my covenant. And when many disasters and calamities come on them, this song will testify against them because it will not be forgotten by their descendants. It's a pretty heavy passage if we think about the implications of music ministry. We shared that with the musicians yesterday. But you see what happens? God knows about earworms. God knows about hooky music. He invented it. He invented us. And so God says to Moses, these truths have the people sing them and learn them because it will be passed on to their descendants. This song will remain and will remind people. We'll talk a little bit more about that later. But God has just given us an amazing tool to remember his word. So as we sing together, we help God's words and truth. They embed deep in our souls that they might remind us throughout the week who God is, his characteristics, and how we can serve him. So again, it's, it's important for our team to pick songs that are theologically correct because it's not only good truths that stick, but as the, the, um, one of the um, people who led the, the church astray early on, Arius, he set his heresy to music so it would infect. So we need to be really, really careful about the songs we sing. But as I said, it's important to remember that you there is not, an ind- uh, it's not singular, it's plural. And so as we sing together, the message of Christ is to dwell among us. You see, our songs, uh, as we sing together, express our corporate theology. They express what we as a church together believe. And churches throughout the history have done this. They've recited creeds, they have had liturgy. And I think in our contemporary churches these days, often when you think, what is the repeated statements of belief and truth that we repeat together? It's our songs. Our songs together help us express the things that we believe and that unite us. But not only do they express them, but they shape the things we believe. And this is really important for us to understand. What we choose to sing as a church will shape what we believe as a church. Because these songs stick so much, there are truths that we sing that will shape us as a church. And so again, we need to be thinking about are we singing a breadth of songs. If we're, all we sing are songs of praise and triumph, then in the times of despair or discouragement, will we have a theology that doesn't quite know what to do? If all we sing are songs of God's holiness, which are great to sing, but we never balance that out with songs about the imminence of God, Jesus come in flesh, then our understanding of God may end up a bit skewed. Now, I'm not saying songs exclusively do that, but they do play an important part. So that is uh, why I think Paul directs the church to sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Now, a few people asked me yesterday, what's the difference between them? Most commentators go, hmm, I don't know. Um, the best that I get is they're saying psalms are the book of psalms that we know 
and the hymns are the hymns to Christ that we can read in the, uh, the New Testament, things like Philippians 2, uh, 1 Timothy 3.16. There's little passages written in poetic form and most people think that these are probably songs that the church has sang together. So we're to sing the, the hymns, sorry, the psalms in all their diversity. Uh, we are to sing hymns about Jesus Christ. Spiritual songs, people have all sorts of different ideas. So, but I think what Paul is saying in the big picture is sing a whole bunch of different things because there's all different songs for different occasions, for different life circumstances and that express together a breadth of who God is. So I hope as we go through this, I hope it's becoming clear to you that singing, um, despite what the world tells us, our singing together isn't primarily about me. It isn't primarily about how God might minister to me or bless me. Yes, he does, and that's a beautiful thing. But this passage sort of says, actually, no, it's not primarily about me. And as we go on, we read, we are to teach and admonish one another with all wisdom. The thing that we have to see there is that it involves a proactive act of service to one another, doesn't it? We can't passively teach and admonish one another. We actually have to intentionally be seeking to do that. It's something that we look to one another. And so again, this, this really has impact on how we approach our singing in church, doesn't it? Uh, particularly, I think, for you guys. Uh, it's great that we have this unified service this morning, but you're such a diverse church. We've got people from all different cultural backgrounds, We've got people of all generations uh, and that is such a great thing. That's what the people of God should look like and that is really exciting. But with that comes the tension that we all come with our different preferences, don't we? Some of us love hymns and are frustrated when the drums are too loud. Some of us get frustrated when we are singing these truths of God and yet there seems no evidence that there is any joy behind them. And we want it to rock out a bit more. Some of us like it loud. Some of us like it reverent. Some of us like doing the YMCA. Some of us are, are checking to see how much money we've got to put in the plates. And you know, we're all different, okay? And in a big church like this with multiple services and, and cultures and generations, these differences are either an opportunity to serve one another and submit to one another out of reverence for Christ or their opportunities to cause tension among us. But if we are looking to teach and admonish one another, if we're looking out for our brothers and sisters, I really hope our perspective changes and that we're not looking for what may be my preference is so much as we're looking and how can we bless the people around me? How will I enthusiastically participate in this song that may not totally float my boat but I know is going to encourage the person beside me. We're looking out for the other as we do this. And I want to think just a little bit about the particular role. We've, we've already spoken about how our singing is a ministry of God's word. How particularly does singing teach and admonish one another? Well, We always said by the way it hooks into us. We've already talked about that. We, have, we should be singing songs that teach us God's word. 
there's a great song that uh, we sing sometimes, which, um, let me just remember it. This is thing. God's word dwelling inside us. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our sin. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. And by his wounds, by his wounds we are healed. Isaiah 53 is now stuck and dwelling in me. So we need songs that teach us God's word. And we need great songs that teach us those propositional truths about who God is. As I said, I love in Christ alone. Before the throne of God above, I have a strong and perfect plea. A great high priest whose name is love, whoever lives and pleads for me. My name is written on his hands. My name is graven on his hands. My name is written on his heart. I know that while in heaven he stands, no tongue can bid me hence depart. What an amazing truth to have internalised. We teach one another as we sing these truths about God. But have you thought about the way... Someone challenged me about this. I think we easily understand those concepts about learning through song, that there's particular truths or there's particular scriptures that we learn as we sing these. But there is an amazing gift in singing that in singing... let's, Let's look at the Psalms particularly. If we sing um, Psalm 13, I've written a melody for Psalm 13, which we've sung in church a few times. Um, Oh my, oh how long, Lord, will you forsake me? Hide your face from me forever. Okay, that's, in singing that, not only am I starting to understand that in a place of despair, I can still cry out to God, not only am I understanding it in my head, but in the act of singing, in some ways we walk alongside the psalmist. We walk in his shoes. We in some way enter into his emotion where he's at and we learn in that way. We need to remember learning is just not propositional. It's just not cognitive. We learn in many different ways and by singing we can enter into um, some of these truths. Music, it's... it's Singing is fantastic because it is so holistic. It involves every part of us, doesn't it? It involves our intellect. It involves our heart as we can marry these truths with the emotion and joy or, in that case, the despair or the pleading that are behind these truths. We can marry them together and express them. It involves our body. It necessarily has to involve our body because we need to push air out of our lungs. But not only our mouths and our lungs, it should involve all of us as we spoke about in active worship, it is all of us given in worship to God. And so we need to think about how, how we sing teachers to one another. In the way that we sing together, what do we teach to the people around us? Uh, a friend of mine, Bob Coughlin, says, even our expression makes an impression. Does that make sense? We ask, if... If someone who knew nothing about Jesus came among us, they would learn from the words that we have up on the screen that we're singing. They would also learn from the way that we're singing them. And so we need to think about how the way we sing, how the way we express these songs, validify and, and accentuate, or do they actually cause like a cognitive dissonance? Is it like... You're singing these words, but it seems to have no impact. 
how, how we sing, because our life is, all of our life, all of our bodies are involved in the worship of God, how we sing makes an impact. So my challenge is, will, will, I just want to think, what do we teach our children as we sing? What do we teach newcomers about our confidence? And if we sing, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus Christ and his righteousness. Let me say, there's some points in which that is all you can offer because you're in a really hard place and that might be the right expression. But I really hope there's other times where we can sing, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus Christ, his righteousness. And we let the truth infect us and express out of us. And in doing so, we teach one another. We look to one another and we see the joy that we have. I I look to my brother and know in the midst of what I know they're going through, yet they express their confidence and joy in God and his faithfulness within that time. We teach one another by how we sing. So I want to encourage you again, if we're looking out to teach and admonish one another as we sing, how are we doing that by the way we sing? Because again, what do we know about the purpose of teaching and admonishing with all wisdom? If you look back in Colossians, in 1.28, Paul uses exactly the same phrase. But here he says, he is the one, Jesus is the one we proclaim. Admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom. See, there's that phrase. Why? So that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. What we do as we teach and admonish one another with all wisdom, again, it is all our life. We're looking to teach, encourage, build up, comfort those around us to present everyone mature in Christ. It's more than just a moment. More than just a moment. All right. I need to wrap it up soon. So let's quickly, let's review where we've just been, okay? So we said singing is not worship. It is all our lives in response. Worship is all our lives in response to who God is, our active worship. Yet we've said singing plays an important role within that. We choose to put it on. We choose to, as a discipline that shapes us, to sing together. Our singing should be a time where we are transformed by God's word. We must expect that he will be working among us and in us. And we must engage and respond to the words that we are singing. Because in doing so, it helps equip us for every good work. It helps us to serve him in all of our life. And it helps the truths and the words of God to dwell deep within us. We've learned that singing is not primarily about me, but it's about us together. As we sing together, our songs express and shape what we believe together as a church and they unite us in our diversity and they empower us and encourage us. I skipped over this, but I really want to go there. Songs unite and empower, don't they? If you think about great political movements, Think about the way Kossi Sikuleli united during apartheid. Think about We Shall Overcome in the Civil Rights Movement. I was even looking on the internet and uh, in the, uh, the Arab Spring there is Syrian rap music 
that is being used to unite people to the cause. Music unites us and it emboldens us and our singing together should unite us and it should embolden us because I love the way a guy Sam Storm says, our, our worship through song is a joyful rebuke of the world. Isn't that great? We stand together and we sing loudly the truths of God in a joyful rebuke of the world that will say, no, God isn't worthy of praise. Your money is or your lifestyle is or your family is and we joyfully together rebuke that and embolden each other to live that out in every part of our life. Sorry, I didn't want to skip over that. That's too good. And you know what? We have got an opportunity to do that now. We're just about to sing. The last point there, we sing with gratitude in our hearts. And today is a great day to think about that, isn't it? I want to ask you, and this is not a rhetorical question, what have we got to be thankful for? Jesus. Shout him out, shout him out. What have we got to be thankful for? Jesus. Jesus. What else? It's our uh, church anniversary. What are some other things? Our brothers and sisters. God's faithfulness over generations. Seeing kids now serving. Seeing the way we've reached our community around us with the love of Christ. Seeing lives transformed. We have got so much to give thanks for. And as we sing, we need to invest our songs with our gratitude to God. So, just here's, here's what we're about to sing. We're going to sing about the God who created the universe and yet bore our sin and shame. Is that something to be thankful for? Far out. We've got to be thankful for that. He's given us his spirit who dwells in us and transforms us and equips us. Wow. So what can I say and what can I do but offer this heart, O oh God, completely to you? That is what we're about to do as we stand and sing. Can I encourage you to apply God's word as we do that? Serve one another as we do that. Joyfully rebuke the world as we do that. I'm just going to pray as the team comes out. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that we've got so much to give you thanks for. We could not complete the list. We will never realise until we see you face to face how great your love is for us. But Lord, right now we ask that we may be able to bring some of that and an expression of joy and gratitude to you right now. Thank you for your word and the way it teaches and transforms us. We ask that it continues to do that as we sing together right now. Amen.